0: Going to move on into the the message for this morning. And as we do, I invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as was said before in the service, your words are spirit, your words are life. Uh, Faith comes by hearing. And Lord, we want to be good listeners to what you have for us today. Lord, we already know that you're here among us because. Your promise is that where two or three are gathered, here you are in our midst. So we ask your Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts and our minds and our wills to learn about what it means to be a follower of you and your kingdom, to see who you are and how you work in this world. And Lord, make us a better, more loyal followers of Christ as a result. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going through this series uh, called Storyteller. We'll be in it for a couple more weeks, and we've reached a point where Jesus is going to tell a story about these workers in a vineyard, workers in a vineyard. Now, where else but in Sonoma County would they be familiar with a story about workers in a vineyard, right? I mean, 60,000 acres of vineyards in Sonoma County, 425 wineries. I thought we were outpacing Napa, but I checked Napa and they got 500, so... I, I can't say we're doing better, but we're probably catching them anyway. The good news, bad news is right now in Sonoma County, there are more wineries than churches. So uh, we church people have some catching up to do in that, in that regard as well. I heard a story about a, an agricultural student uh, coming up to a farmer. Now remember, you know, a, a young agricultural student coming up to a seasoned farmer And he says to the farmer, and he says, your your methods are old-fashioned. I wouldn't be surprised if you got less than 20 pounds of apples out of this tree. And the farmer says, well, I agree with you because it's an orange tree. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's another farm joke. Why why should you not tell secrets on a farm? Why should you not tell secrets on a farm? You know why? Because the potatoes have eyes and the corn have ears. Oh, God. That is so bad. (laughs) Let's go back to our message. We're we're talking about farming. We're talking about vineyard workers. Uh, um, Of course, in Sonoma County, we know all about that. I probably passed half a dozen wineries driving to church today. I only live six, seven miles from here, but passing at least half a dozen wineries on the way here. So Jesus in Storyteller in this series, Jesus is going to tell a series of stories Uh, In the Bible, they're also called parables. But the idea of a parable is Jesus tells a story and he says, I want to explain to you the reality of the kingdom of heaven. How does the kingdom of God work? And how is the kingdom of God different than the way you understand life here on earth? And so he's going to tell this earthly story that has a spiritual meaning to it. And he's going to explain how the kingdom of God works by telling this particular story of the vineyard and the vineyard workers. So he begins, and if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the very first book in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 20, and we're going to be in the first 16 verses. So Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16 this morning. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can look up on the screen, or you can check with somebody else next to you. Maybe they've got their Bible open. All right, so Jesus says this, explaining how the kingdom of God works. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. So you can picture an agricultural setting. I'm sure the people of Israel were all familiar with this. Oh, yeah, (coughs) Uh, vineyard owners, landowners of estates, uh, they didn't. They didn't work the land. They hired people to work the land, and then they sometimes they shared the the percentage of the crop with the land, or they just paid them a daily wage. In this particular case, uh, this landowner was going to hire day laborers to work in his vineyard. Now, has it, have any of you guys driven by a Home Depot in the morning uh, in Southern California? I can tell you, the Home Depot where I used to drive by always had about twenty or 30 typically Latino guys that would be standing out there, and they were day laborers. Their job was, I'm going to stand here until somebody comes by with a truck or something and says, hey, I've got this project to do. I need four guys who got strong backs and can do some digging, and they'll come over. And I don't know what this guy was hiring for, but he got surrounded by a bunch of men who said, hire me, hire me. And so if you picture 20 centuries ago, this is what this owner of the estate was doing. He was going out to hire some day laborers. In many of Jesus' story, there's this unexpected twist. And And now I want you to wait for it. I want you to see this unanticipated turn in the story where everything's going on as normal and then something different happens. And that something different that happens That's what the point that Jesus is trying to make, saying this is how God's kingdom is different from the way you understand how things work down here on earth. So he's going to use this unexpected twist to share a powerful truth about the kingdom of God, right? So early in the morning, right around dawn, owner of the estate goes out and hires all day laborers, and he said, and they had an agreed upon price. Uh, in some translations, it says it's a denarius, that's a Greek coin that was worth about one day's wage. Now, at nine o'clock in the morning, so now it's three hours later, the story keeps going and apparently the owner of the vineyard said, I don't have enough labors, I need more. So at nine o'clock in the morning, he's passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them. He's telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. So now you got your 6 a.m. workers, your 9 a.m. workers. Quitting time is going to be about 6 p.m. So an all-day labor was about 12 hours plus a lunch break and some other breaks. So a long day for these workers. So they went to work in the vineyard, right? So, so now a 6 a.m. workers, 9 a.m. workers. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. So this uh, owner of the estate, he's very active. He's like, I see all these workers, but there's still not enough. I need more. So he goes out and he gets more and more workers to work in his vineyard. And here's the catch. And this is where the story gets interesting. At 5 o'clock, right, which is one hour before quitting time. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again, and he saw some people standing around. And he asked him, he says, well, why haven't you been working today? right? <laughs> Where were you earlier? I don't, I don't know. We we're sleeping it off. I, whatever they were doing, they were not in the marketplace ready to be hired. But at the, near the end of the day, one hour to go. He's in the marketplace. You see these guys. Why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. So now they're hoping, okay, uh, I don't know what we're going to get paid. It's not going to be much. We're only going to be working one hour. But the landowner says, then go out and join the others in my vineyard knowing they only have to go work 1 hour probably was like all right let's do it so these guys you know where were you earlier no one hired us these these guys i picture are the leftovers they were the they were the guys that were picked last on the team And I don't know if you ever had that happen to you. You ever been on a team and they're choosing sides and teams and you get picked last and you're like, thanks a lot, man. I feel like I'm not even wanted here, but at least I'm on a team, right? So they got picked for a team. They might feel less than, they might feel unwanted or less valued, but they still went out and worked in the vineyard. This is where it gets interesting. So that evening... Uh, Verse 8, that evening he told the foreman, so now this is the owner of the estate, that evening he told the foreman to call the workers out and to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So not only are the all-day workers working all day, it's quitting time, it's time to get paid, but they're the ones who are last in line waiting to get paid. The ones that were the last ones hired, remember Jesus, remember he had this famous saying, and the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. And you're going, oh, what's this all about? So the last workers hired get to be the first ones in line to get paid, right? And of course, the guys that were working first, they're the ones who are last in line. And so he told them to pay the last workers first. And when those who were hired at five o'clock were paid, get this, each one of them received a full day's wage. And and I, I mean, this is... Unexpected. This is a surprise. This is like, are you kidding me? Say it was a, say, let's say he paid him $100 for a full day's work, right? $100, $10 an hour for 10 hours or 12 hours. So whatever that was, instead of getting $10 for working one hour, they got the full $100. And these guys had only worked one hour. So um, this is what I wrote here. I said, wait just a great picking minute here. The workers who barely worked at all, I only worked one hour's worth of work, they still got a full day's wage? Is this vineyard owner off his rocker? This is incredibly generous. This just does not happen. If he gave the one hour, now now you've got a picture of the guys in the back of the line, because everybody knows what everybody's getting paid, because they're watching. And the guys that are in the back of the line who worked all day are watching the guys in the front of the line who only worked one hour and they got a full day's wage and they're going, wow, we are going to cash in. This is going to be a banner day in in our working history here. So this this owner is so generous. If he gave the one-hour workers that much, how much more is he going to give us? Let's go. So the group of one-hour workers, by the way, you go back to the one-hour workers who got paid a full day's wage, you can imagine the feeling that they had, this euphoria, this joy they had. I would call this category, I would call them surprised by joy surprised by joy because they didn't deserve it, they didn't earn it, they'd only been working one hour and yet they got a full day's wage. So these guys were surprised by joy. Now, of course the story isn't over yet because not the other guys who had worked longer and even worked all day that day, they haven't been paid yet. So now it says when those workers that were hired first came in and got their pay, they assumed, and you all know what happens when you assume, right? (laughs) They assumed, I would think the same thing. Can you believe how much the landowner paid them? How much more is he gonna pay us? So they're anticipating, the expectation is they're gonna get so much more. And it says when the owner first came to get their pay, they assumed they'd receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. Now just, just checking the math here. You remember when the owner first hired them, right? The owner first hired him, he says, uh, I want to hire you all day to work in my vineyard. This is how much I'm going to pay you. They agreed on that price. That was 12 hours before. Everything was fine 12 hours earlier. But now that he's paying them the same thing that he said he was going to pay him 12 hours later, everything's not so cool now. And then the only reason it's different is because of what they saw, what happened with these one-hour workers instead of the 12-hour workers. So now you got this second group, this of all-day laborers and they are not happy. What a disappointing moment that must have been for these all-day workers. They see the one hour and the part-time guys get a full day's wage. They assume the owner's are probably gonna double their pay, at least you'd think. They've been working so much longer. And so you can imagine their disappointment when they got up and they got paid the same amount. So look what they say, it's only natural, right? Uh, it says, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. I think one, one translation said they grumbled. They grumbled and complained to the owner. And wouldn't you do the same thing? I mean, in our humanity, we have this idea of fairness. We have this idea of justice. You know, a, a, day's wor- a day's pay for a day's work. If I gave a full day's work, then I expect to get a full day's pay. And if somebody didn't do a full day's work, then they shouldn't be getting a full day's pay. And if they do, then that means we're going to have to redo the math on me because I did all the work, right? So look what they say. They, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. They said, those people, and you notice I put that in bold, those people. Now, I always say this. You got to be real careful when somebody starts saying those people because what do you think their attitude was toward the one-hour workers, right? come on, man. These guys aren't in a class with us. They don't deserve to get what we get. They haven't done what we've done. Why is the owner doing this? So, memory says those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day. And here, you know, throw the zinger on, in the scorching heat. You know, we took the brunt of the labor. They, they, they were grumbling against this land, landowner. Now, Again, this is what I said about fairness. We have this, you know, I, I grew up, I was the middle son of three boys. So I got, a, I got a brother, Joe is a year older. And I just reminded him that this week because he had his birthday right after I had mine. So he's older than me always. So uh, he, he's a year older. I'm the middle kid. And my, my brother, Jeff, is the younger. And we're all about one year apart. So yeah, my mom, uh, she, well, forget it. I'm not even going to that. <clears throat> So we got Joe, Jim and Jeff and my mom was so into the fairness thing. I I remember one time uh, we were all sitting down to lunch and we were going to have Pepsi to drink for lunch. We're going to have like my my mom's classic uh, tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches because it was chores day on Saturday. And so we sat down and she gave us Pepsi for lunch. And uh, she had to put the three glasses right next to each other. One, two, three. And she had to pour the Pepsi. And we watched her like a hawk as she's pouring the Pepsi because those three glasses had to be exactly even all the way across. Otherwise, what were we going to yell and scream as kids? That's not fair. Joe got more Pepsi than I did. He didn't get as much as I did. My mom was a genius. She used to, to, if there was one piece of pie or something left, one piece of cake, and and two of us wanted it, you know what my mom mom would do? She, I was like, thanks a lot, mom, afterward. But at at the time, when she first said it, I thought it was great. So she said, there's one piece of pie and two of you want it. So Jim, you go ahead and cut that piece of pie in half, and Jeff, you get to choose which half you want. (laughs) You think I didn't cut that one right down the middle? Because I knew, I said, if I do a 60-40, guess, guess which slice Jeff's going to have, right? He's going to take the big piece. So we have this innate sense, even when we're growing up, of fairness and what's fair and what isn't fair. If somebody gets a cookie and we don't, we scream, that's not fair. Somebody gets to go to a movie and we didn't get to go to the movie. We say, eh, that's not fair. You know, We don't think about, you know, like it says in Romans 12. That's, that's called Christian maturity in Romans 12 because it says, rejoice with those who rejoice. In other words, you got to go to a movie and you got a piece of pie and you got a cookie. I just want to rejoice with you. You had a great day. And not even thinking about, I didn't. You know, we, have a hard, we have a hard time you know, saying that isn't fair. Uh, uh, and so you can imagine these workers and the, the feeling that of, of unfairness that they would have over this. The one-hour workers are surprised by joy. The 12-hour workers, they're offended. There's the second category. Not surprised by joy. They don't have any joy at all. They might have had joy getting hired at 6 a.m., but they don't got any joy now at 6 p.m. Now they're offended. They're offended by grace. They're offended by the grace of this landowner. Now, look what the... Look what the landowner says. Because they're basically saying, what's the deal, boss? This isn't fair. And the landowner, he says, he answered them, friend, hey, by the way, if you ever want to defuse the situation, if you ever want to, like, say, am I going to bring a bucket of gasoline to a fire or am I going to bring a bucket of water to a fire? You know, because you have the choice. You know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, it says in Proverbs 15. So when somebody's getting really worked up, really complaining, really emotional, really spoiling for a fight, you don't want to ratchet it up. You don't want to say, oh, yeah. Well, so, you, so he says, friend. Friend, I haven't been unfair. And, and look what he says. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is, yes, you did. Take your money and go. I wanna, if I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. And just a reminder, who's the landowner here? Who's the one who's hiring and paying the wages? Is it you or is it me? Right? So the landowner says, I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. It isn't against the law for me to do. He says, is it against the law? You know, I think there's a little sarcasm here. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? By the way, whose money is it? Is it yours or is it God's? Is it yours or the landowner's? Is, he says, should you, and, and this is where I think the, the, the clincher is. This is the crux of Jesus' story. He says, should you be jealous, you all day workers in the vineyard, and somebody who's only worked one hour gets paid the same as you? Should you all day workers be jealous because I am kind to others? Because I am kind to others. See, what I think Jesus is doing here is he wants the listener to stand up and take notice. He wants them to see something about God that is different from any other human ruler, from any other human leader. What is so different about God? Here's the the sentence. If God's generosity is going to be represented by a man, then that man would have to be different from any other man they've ever met. If God was going to be represented by a man, and so Jesus is telling this story now. Remember, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And and Jesus is saying this landowner is gonna be this God figure. And he says, if I'm gonna represent God to you and explain how God works and how his kingdom works, then that landowner is gonna have to be different from any other landowner that you've ever encountered. It's only when the all-day workers compared, by the way, comparison Wow, this is a tough one. You know, comparison is, I, I don't know how comparison ever really worked in the positive for anybody, right? When you compare yourself to somebody who you think has more than you or is better than you or is more skilled than you in a certain area, what is it, it doesn't really engender admiration. It engenders like envy and jealousy and coveting, and we're not supposed to go that way, right? But on the other side, when you compare yourself to somebody who has less than you or isn't as gifted as you or doesn't have the talent you have or whatever they have that's something less than, whether it's superior or inferior, either way doesn't doesn't bring up good feelings. Either we feel superior to somebody or we feel inferior to somebody else. So comparison is just bad. Somebody said this, comparison is the thief of all joy. Comparison is the thief of all joy. And that's what they were doing. They, these all-day workers were fine. This was the wage they were gonna get. They had agreed at the early part of the day with the owner, no problem. It's only when they start comparing what they made with what somebody else was getting, that's when they cried foul play. Those people got the same payment as us and I did way more work than they did, right? Friends, we gotta recognize that. That's in our own heart. That's in just about all of our hearts. We all have the sense of fairness, we all have the sense of justice, we all have this sense of, you know what? If I'm working hard and I'm giving my best and I see somebody slacking off or I don't see somebody doing anything, I either I, I either have this feeling of I'm 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 running ahead of them in the race, whatever the race is we're running or I'm feeling superior to them, or, or if they're running harder than me, then I'm feeling inferior to them. We all have those feelings. Let's just recognize it, and let's, let's stop the comparison game. Let's stop looking at everybody else around us. I think Jesus says it this way in Hebrews. He says, let's run the race that is marked out for us, right? My neighbor's race, God has a race for him or her to run for them. I, I don't have to run their race, this is the lane that I'm supposed to run in. Haven't you seen those in the commercials lately? Where the guy says, stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. <laughs> this is the race that God has for you and me to run. Let's stay in our own lane and run our race and quit looking around us and see how everybody else is doing in comparison. Because that doesn't, that doesn't bring unity in the body of Christ. It doesn't bring love. It just brings ugly things. So... So what he says, the landowner says at the end, he says in verse, six, in verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, verse 14, he says, take your money, he says, take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? See, here's Christianity. Here's Christian theology. And this is like 101, right? This is, this is basic understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What we have versus what we don't have. The way God treats us versus the way God does not treat us. And there's three words that I want to bring up in Christian Theology 101. The first word is justice. Justice means that you get what you deserve. You you get paid for what you earned, right? In fact, if you really want justice, uh, the Bible has a great verse for that. It's Romans 6.23, and it says, The wages or what you earned for your sin. The wages of sin is death. Sin pays a wage and the wage is death. That's getting what you deserve. That's justice. The second word is mercy. How does mercy differ from justice? Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. Maybe you deserve to be punished. Maybe you don't deserve to be paid as much. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And I saved the best word for last. Because this is the word that is operative for you and me in our Christian life. And that third word is grace. Because I don't want justice. If I got what I deserve, that's not good. If I do not get what I deserve, that's better. But there's something that is even better than that, and that is grace. Getting what you will never ever deserve. Getting what you will never ever deserve. So think it, think of it this way. And I and when we talk about justice and fairness. Let me ask you this question, and it's kind of rhetorical. Aren't you glad that God is not fair? Aren't you glad that God is not fair? Oh, God is just, God is pure, God is holy, God is morally perfect, but you know what? God isn't fair because God does not give us what we deserve, and thank God for that. Instead of giving us what we deserve, God gives us his mercy, and he pours out his grace on us. Look what it says there in Ephesians chapter two. It says, for it is by grace. Remember, grace is getting something you don't deserve, that you didn't earn. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I wanna put in parentheses here, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even if you're an all-day worker, even if you started working for the master at 6 a.m., even if you learned about Jesus uh, on the knee of your mom and dad, and you, you nod on the church pew as you were growing up a, as a toddler, if you've been in church and been in the Christian faith all your life, and you never strayed, and you've been working for Jesus and serving Him all your life, and you could be an all-day worker, a 12-hour worker, this verse still applies to you and me, and it says, this is not from yourselves. In other words, that grace, you didn't earn it, you got it Through faith, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works. In other words, you don't get saved. You don't get into God's family by your own good works so that no one can boast. And earlier in that same letter, we're in Ephesians a lot today. Thank you, Lily. Ephesians 4, and now we're in Ephesians 2. Earlier, there's a verse that talks about uh, God pouring out his grace on us as well. And I'll get to that in just a minute. So remember, justice is getting what you deserve. Nobody really wants justice. I'm glad God isn't fair. God's grace gives us more than we'll ever deserve. Have you ever wrestled with somebody? Ever, you ever heard about somebody who had one of those deathbed conversion stories? You know, somebody who lived a terrible life, somebody who was selfish and hurt a lot of people, maybe was even evil. And then you heard an, oh yeah, and by the way, on their deathbed, they had a, they had a deathbed confession of faith in Christ. And the question, the, the theological question, this is what, when you're at Christian college, this is what, you love questions like this, because you just sit around, drink coffee, and talk about this stuff. Wasting time, basically. But, it, but it, when you're 20 years old, it sounds really interesting. It's like, did that person, were they really saved? Did they really make it into heaven at, at a last hour deathbed conversion? They didn't do anything. Good in their life. They had a terrible life. They deserved the wages of sin is death. Nobody's deserved that more than they did. And yet, did they really convert or not? And if they did convert, were they really saved or not? With a deathbed confession... Some murder, horrible criminal, decides to repent, believe in Jesus, and you say, "How in the world?" And this is a natural question. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's a natural question we ask. How in the world can a person like that ever be allowed by God to be forgiven and go into heaven? And what we should be asking is, let's turn it on ourselves. Let's turn the question back on ourselves. Instead of saying, how could God let a person like that into heaven? We should say, God, why did you pour out your amazing grace on such a wretch like me? That's the question we ought to be asking. That's the question that leads us to a better, graceful, loving attitude towards somebody who maybe didn't come into the kingdom until the very end of the day. Friends, it wasn't fair that God rescued you and me from our self-centeredness. It wasn't fair that God forgave me of all my selfish ways. It wasn't fair for God to bring you into His forever family by grace through faith. It wasn't fair for God to forgive me for all the bad things I've done. It wasn't fair for God to make me a teacher in the church. It wasn't fair, but it was incredibly gracious So aren't you glad that God isn't fair? The Apostle Paul makes this clear. He said it in Ephesians 2. He says it earlier in Ephesians, and he says, but because of his great love for us in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. Even if you're a 5 p.m. worker in the vineyard, it is still by grace that you have been saved. If you're a 6 a.m. worker, it's still by grace that you have been saved so that no one will have any cause to stand up and boast that somehow you've earned your way into God's favor. You've heard of of a movement this last year in Hollywood. Have you ever heard of this movement? Uh, It's sort of related to the Me Too movement, but it's called Time's Up. You ever heard of that? Time's up. Well, friends, it may be time for some of us to move away from this group, get away from that group that we call offended by grace. Why should God allow people like that into his kingdom? They didn't do anything. We should be able to say time's up to that and move over. Let's move over from the camp of offended by grace and let's move into the camp of surprised by joy. It's high time we made that move. It's time's up that we moved over to surprise by joy. So again, paying even the one-hour worker a full day's wage, the owner shows that his mercy accepts even the lowest member of society. He puts him on equal footing with the best member, with the elite members of his family. Those who come to God, no matter what their background, regardless of their social standing, regardless of their age, material wealth, regardless of their religious background or pedigree, no matter when in life they come, they will be accepted on equal footing with everybody else. And I hope somebody would say amen to that, because maybe you're in that camp in this, jo- in this story jesus is pointing out that salvation in his kingdom is that he this is how it differs from the world the principle of the world says he who works the longest receives the most pay that's what's just that's what's fair but in the kingdom of god the principles of merit and ability those are set aside why are they set aside so that grace may prevail so that grace may prevail so now Jesus says to close it off, he says, now those who are last, those who are last now will be first then. Those who are first will be last. People who have it first place in this world are not necessarily going to be first place in the kingdom of God. Those who you see somebody in the world and you say, wow, they seem like last place when it comes to society down here, they may end up being first place in the kingdom of God. That was really good news, by the way. This idea of the 5 p.m. worker getting in and getting paid the same wage as the all-day worker, that kind of kingdom mentality was really good news for the thief on the cross, don't you think? The thief on the cross being crucified next to Jesus, probably a career criminal, finally getting crucified, finally getting the justice that that he'd probably eluded for years finally getting to the point where it says the wages of sin is death, and now he's dying on a cross next to Jesus. He must have thought, this thief on the cross or this criminal must have thought it was way too late for him to turn around, to repent, to come back to God. And yet, in humility, he had the the boldness to ask Jesus. He says, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you remember what Jesus responded to him. He says, sorry, too late for you, buddy. No, he didn't, right? That's what we would expect somebody to say. I'm sorry, it's too late. You're, you're hours away from dying. You should have thought about this a long time ago, right? What would, you know, that is, that is the ungracious attitude. But Jesus, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, till the time he gave his last breath, he looks over to that man, and he says, today I tell you, he couldn't point to him because he's like this. But he, but he says, Today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And is that not good news? Aren't you glad that God isn't fair? I'm sure the thief on the cross was. It's awesome that that, that thief on the cross is going to be in God's family. And he's going to be in God's family. And he's going to be welcomed into heaven just as much as Billy Graham. He's going to be welcomed into heaven just as much as Mother Teresa He's even going to be welcome into heaven just as much as St. Patrick of Ireland. So whether you believed and served Jesus for all your life, for many years, for just a few years, or whether you gave your last breath hours after you prayed a prayer to invite Jesus into your life and to follow him, Jesus says you are welcome. So let's be like Jesus. Let's try to look at everybody with grace-filled eyes. Jesus affirms that God will make the appointments. He's the one in charge of whoever's last or first in the kingdom of heaven. Those places, whether you're first or last, you can't bargain for it. You can't work for it. You can't negotiate for it. They are up to God himself. Let him decide who the first and the last ones are. He clarified membership rules in his kingdom. The entrance is by God's grace and God's grace alone. And whatever reward God wants to give you, that's up to him. Friends, let's be captured by the heart of the landowner. Just just one more time to read what the landowner said. The the heart, because the landowner represents God. And if you wanna say, okay, God, how do you see us? How do you see life? How do you see working for you and your kingdom work? What does that look like? He says, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I, if I, I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? And, and here's the kicker. Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? What a great heart this landowner had. And I've got three takeaways. So just to close it out, three takeaways. You can write them down in your, in your bulletin notes if you want. Number one, for all of us 6 a.m., 9 a.m., maybe 12 noon workers who might think that this isn't fair, that just anybody at any time can get in, right? Let's just remember. Let's be glad and rejoice that God chose you. That God walked through the marketplace of your life and he says, I want you to be a worker in my vineyard. I, aren't, can't you just be glad that you're chosen? That God chose you whatever time it was in your life. You're chosen in Christ by grace. That is a gift of God. You didn't earn that. So let's rejoice that God chose you. Number two, remember I talked about the sin of comparison. Comparison is the thief of all joy. Don't compare your labors in his kingdom to that of others. And whatever fruit comes out of those labors, that's up to God. Don't compare your labors to that of others. Just stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> run the race that God that God has called you to run. And number 3, go out and invite others. You know, I think once the landowner, you know, once you understand the story and it's like God wants everybody. He's inviting everybody to come work in his vineyard. He's got a big vineyard. He's got a big harvest. He wants to invite you to come work in his vineyard and join him in his kingdom work, knowing that God invites even last hours workers. Even somebody at 5 p.m., one hour before closing time, one hour before it's all said and done, God is still inviting people to come and say, come and join me in my vineyard work and be part of the harvest. Let's be part of that too. Amen? I'm going to invite the choir to come on up. You guys are very patient. You've been standing here saying, i got to listen to this guy next hour too. Thank you for coming up and thank you for singing. And as they're coming up, let's... let's The rest of us, let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for the story of the vineyard workers. Thank you that from reading the story, it is just obvious that it is a different kingdom with different values in the kingdom of heaven than what we understand about normal kingdoms, and the way things work here on earth. God, thank you that you're willing to hire us, you're willing to call us into your kingdom work, into your family at whatever hour of the day it is. God, you say it's your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So thank you that even now, no matter where we are in our life, no matter how late in life it might be for any of us, no matter how many times we've said no, no matter how many times we haven't even been in the marketplace when you come by to call us, God, thank you that even today you're still inviting us into your family and into your kingdom work. And while our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I just want to ask you, if, if you know you can't earn your way in, if you know it's by grace that God invites you, if you know that today could be the day for you, would you say yes to Jesus? Would you accept his invitation to follow you? Are you ready to do that today? And if you are, let's pray together. Just say a prayer like this, because prayer's talking to God. Say, dear God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I've done wrong things in my life. I've messed up and I've gone away from you. I've not honored you with with my life and the way I've lived. And, And Lord, I'm asking for you to forgive me And I I understand that Jesus, you gave your life on the cross. You died for my sins when you died on the cross. And Lord, I wanna be forgiven. So I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. I'm declaring my faith in you. I'm saying to you that I'm gonna follow you all the rest of the days of my life. However many days I have left, God, I'm gonna follow you. Thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. Thank you for being part of your family Thank you for the hope of heaven and the new life that you promised me here on earth. God, take that heart of stone that I have and turn it into a heart of flesh. Lord, take, take the, the, the old stuff that is just ugly in my life and get rid of it and help me to start living a, a new life with a new character and new values that honor you. Lord, I love you, and I love you that that you're always in the marketplace. You're always out there inviting people to come no matter where they are. And I thank you that today was the day for me. Lord, I love you, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.